Hi, this is Jim Lobato. I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on BizTalk Radio Show. I started BizTalk so you can have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. I hope you enjoy this podcast. On our program is Christoph Morin. We're talking about his new book called Neuromarketing, Understanding the Buy Buttons in Your Customer's Brain. Christoph, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. One of the things that got me interested in your topic, Christoph, is, is the work that I do with the performance group, which is the sales side of things, and getting people to understand there's a connection between sales and marketing. People tend to get them confused. I call them kissing cousins, you know, very similar disciplines, but they're very much connected. So the title of your book got my attention because the buy, you know, signals that you're, that you're the brain of your customers. Because I think it's Jack Trout made a comment one time that the final resting place of all advertising is in the mind of the consumer, and so you have to get into the mind of the consumer in order to make it effective. So let's talk about your book, Neuromarketing. Tell me, what is it all about? Well, you know that there are a lot of uh, books on sales and marketing. In fact, if you go on uh, Amazon, probably around 12,000, and they tend to uh, suggest the, the same ideas and principles, and particularly they go to great extent to tell you that the decision maker is the you know it's essential aspect of how you close you know a deal to target the, the right decision maker uh, I discovered uh, that the, the decision maker is essentially not a person it's an organ and the idea behind neuromarketing is to suggest that nothing matters in your ability to influence or sell until you understand how this process is produced uh, organically or biologically by the brain. And you actually get into your book, and we'll dive into this in even more details, but you said there there's really four steps then to neuromarketing. Is that correct? There are four steps that uh, initially take into account uh, what uh, information is now available on on the, the, the brain when it is about to process a message and ultimately make a decision. Um, so we have uh, essentially two parts in the book. One, we, we share with the, the readers all this information that has been mostly available in medical books and complicated papers so that people begin to understand that we are, in fact, more informed about this biological process that happens in our brain when we see a commercial or we hear a sales pitch. And then from that information, we make the suggestion that, that all you need to do in your organization is, is follow four sequential steps. And, uh, and I'm happy to go into that, but it might make sense to just you know, do a high-level summary of those core principles in terms of uh, brain functioning. And are you talking about in your book, you call it the old brain? Yeah, the old brain is, is a general um, description of the uh, structures in the brain that, that have the oldest and, and most primitive functions 
they include the brain stem and the limbic system, uh, and, and those brain structures are known to, you know, focus primarily on our survival, our ability to uh, breathe and digest and stay alert and, and, uh, and run, uh, you know, if you see a, a scary animal on the ground, uh, even if it's a stick, ultimately, all those decisions are triggered below our level of consciousness. So there's a lot of primal, instinctual behavior from that brain, uh, and we discovered that the evidence uh, does show that this is indeed the most uh, important part of the brain to, to communicate with, to, to stimulate in order to uh, close the deal. So let's make it relevant for our audience because they're probably thinking right now, okay, gosh, do I really need to go to a psych class and understand this stuff? But in your book you said there are six stimuli that reaches out to the old brain. We, let's cover that for the audience. Of course. Um, now, again, to simplify, you, you have essentially three layers in the brain from the oldest structure all the way to the new structure. And what people are having to do right now in, in listening to both of us is to use a lot of that newer brain structure called the cortex. But uh, we believe, and the evidence has shown from our work and the fact we've trained 25,000 people around the world, we actually know it works, that, that you first need to engage at the level of the older brain structure to ultimately access the rest of the brain. And to do so, uh, we identify that there are six pretty um, effective strategies. We call them stimuli because there are ways to engage that part of the brain. So I'll go briefly on those stimuli, you may think of those stimuli as, as a language, as, as a grammar rules that you would apply to speak the language of the reptilian uh, brain, which is uh, also known as the old brain. The first rule, the first stimulus, is the fact that this brain is terribly self-centered. It's the me-center of the brain. There is nothing that matters to this brain other than that what, which is irrelevant, which is relevant to your survival. So we uh, encourage people to use, for instance, the word you, because the, 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 the word you has, has been found to be the most uh, successful and influential word uh, in, in English, and, and it taps directly into our, our craving for knowing what is relevant uh, for us before we get uh, ultimately engaged. The second is called contrast, and what we mean by that is you have to be able to disrupt attention uh, for that older brain structure to engage. Uh, it, it is not going to pay any attention to anything that's neutral, that's normal, because for the brain, nothing is terribly important when it's normal. Therefore, there is a need in all the sales approach, particularly messaging, to disrupt, to create a break, to create a, a distance between what people accept to be normal and what could be extraordinary. For instance, you know, extraordinary benefit, extraordinary transformation in people's lives or in the business results that they would experience. The third element is to constantly make the message tangible or concrete because that older brain structure doesn't want to expend much energy. It's actually wired to conserve. Therefore, we have an absolute biological bias for speed and simplicity. And how many times, Jim, have you seen messages that are so abstract, so difficult that you know you can't begin to process them without a lot of cognitive effort. Well, the evidence suggests that we're not willing and ready to do that. Therefore, all forms of sales messaging, including very complicated service or, or, or products, should be converted into a message that a four-year-old could understand initially. The fourth uh, is, is being aware of the fact that we have also 
a tendency to pay more attention at the beginning and at the end of any particular event. So don't wait until the middle of your you know, meeting, essentially, uh, to, to bring the, the essence of what you can do for, for a company or a person. You have to hit people with your value, essentially, at the beginning, and you have to repeat a lot, particularly at the end, because we use those markers in the brain to mem- memorize and encode the information for long-term memory. There's two more. One is visual. I mean, you know we have a lot of senses we can tap into, five. But the truth and the evidence is, in the brain, visual matters more than any of the other senses. Therefore, we recommend to maximize visual delivery beyond anything else. And finally, the most fascinating aspect of the model, I believe, is the importance of emotions, uh, particularly because emotions are now known to be somewhat, uh, somewhat like a glue with which we can um, uh, mark uh, what we want to ultimately and need to remember. So if you serve a message without some sort of emotional cocktail, your chance of getting any kind of uh, memory of that event are, are very poor. So it's a six-stimuli uh, model. We all, at some level, speak that model without knowing it, but we train people on doing this very consciously. So, Christoph, what prompted you to go in this direction and understand this fundamental core first. What was it about this that you were trying to solve or work towards or get to that headed you down this direction? Oh, I'm happy to share this because my sort of uh, journey into understanding the brain started 25 years ago uh, as I was finishing my, my master's in, um, in market research. Uh, I realized that most studies on, on advertising effectiveness or sales effectiveness uh, end up being based on asking people questions or doing focus groups. And the problem with that is people, as with the best intentions, tend to distort the information uh, or sometimes you know, modify it. But worse, uh, when you begin to understand um, the process by which we, we you know, do things in our brain, the speed at which certain reactions are is way too high for us to be aware or conscious. Therefore, I felt that there was only one way to ultimately measure and predict the effectiveness of advertising or sales messaging in general, and that is uh, to go inside the brain and and begin the journey. I I started that 25 years ago, but the information on the brain was quite poor. In the last 15 years alone, um, fMRI scanners, a lot of uh, more cost-effective EEG technology, which is measuring brainwave, has appeared. So that's why neuromarketing has literally exploded only in the last five years, uh, because there is now the the possibility of using technology that has been uh, remarkably uh, helpful for the study of the brain, whether you are fighting a condition that requires help or whether you're a healthy subject. We now know how to see and monitor the work, uh, the, the brain at work. Okay, so I got the basic understanding that you, at the core, we have to appeal to what the old brain or how the old brain is going to take information in or react to information. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. All right. Now we, that we have that, then what? Where do we go Well, from then there? you get into some steps that we recommend a business should follow in order to, to achieve this, first of all, this connection between marketing and sales, which you mentioned um, is sometimes a challenge for businesses. And two, to, to apply across the organization 
simple ways of of deploying you know a better a better messaging strategy. And the first step is is to to identify and and unveil the core frustrations and pains of your customers. Since our brain is so survival centric, we really have a bias towards taking care of the negative information before we take care of the positive. In fact, we, we even have more negative emotions than we have positive emotions, and we tend to amplify the negative more than we um, amplify the positive. In fact, we tend to neutralize the positive. That means as consumers, generally speaking, we're going to pay more attention to a message that has a solution to the elimination or, destro- or destruction of some sort towards the pain than it would be if you only sent your message on what people want and wish. So this pain assessment is, is an important aspect of what we recommend first. Do you want me to proceed to the step two? Well, let's talk about that for a second. So if I understand what you're saying is people tend to be more focused on what's not going right or the absence of something they want more than the things they have or that's going right. Is that correct? That's true. And, and a lot of it is not conscious. A lot of it is just happening in terms of moods and, and you know, and, and aspect of how we behave during a day that, that can really be very affected by what's not going right. Is it safe to say, for definition's sake, for our people listening, you're defining pain as the absence of something, of some state where we're not happy with something? Or, Correct. Or, okay, okay. Part of the challenge then would be for businesses to understand what that absence is in their prospects. That's right. And they have to go through this process, which we call diagnose the pain, which is, you know, simplified by asking one typical question. You know, uh, what, what keeps your customers awake at night uh, as it relates to a particular service or product that you're marketing? And you will find that the answer to this question is absolutely enlightening. You will find that people sometimes are not even aware and conscious of how much they struggle or worry about a particular outcome. And that becomes the first hook from which we believe you can create effective messaging toward the old brain. Yeah, and I found that a lot of companies, when you ask that question, they can't answer it. They go right, yeah. to, they go right to, well, here's our features, here's our benefits, and here's how yeah. we solve that. It's like, okay. <laughs> but exactly. What, okay. So you found the same experience too that most people in yes. Yeah, I mean, again, twenty-five years of research. I've hun- you know hundreds, if not thousands, of customers. Uh, I've talked to me in some way or another, and and I I know you know now how critical those core questions are, and and why bother asking you know two hundred questions when you know a few <laughs> are the most uh, powerful and predictive of the behavior. That's the essence of this process. So, Christoph, just share for our audience, just think for a second of a situation you were working with a customer and they identified something that their prospects had that you considered to be a good pain. In other words, they were able to articulate a very good pain. So give our audience a reference point here of what a good pain sounds like. Oh, boy, you're putting me on the spot. I mean, we, we do this for companies that make uh, fMRI scanners, um, software. Okay. But, but uh, I, I can uh, pick one, let's say, in software that, that might be uh, relevant to people who are listening currently. Since we're on the phone, 
I will mention the work that we did for a company that has a, a, a very a powerful suite of services for people who own call centers. Okay. And in the past, you know, they were very successful, the number one in the world uh, of market share, uh, yet they were feeling very uh, frustrated because their sales pitch was primarily uh, software-centric. You know, here are thousands of features and functions so that a call center can operate, you know, like a Boeing 747. Uh, until we told them that the conversation was shifting too much towards the features and function, and we had to um, survey and probe and understand what, uh, what, what fundamental pains people who run a call center uh, have. And so we, we did this through a number of, of steps, but we found that for a manager of a call center, the number one pain was to stop the frustration that's coming through you know, the phone line. And until the, the, the matrix measuring the frustrations were better, um, the software was of no importance or interest to them. The second pain was um, to make sure that the um, agents are not, uh, you know, reading a newspaper or surfing the web. So the efficiency of the agents, the people who answer the call, was a, a, a primal emotion, you know, uh, someone that that would uh, walk around, would, would always be nervous if people were um, working to their you know, optimum potential. And finally, the third, which was most relevant to the technology, was that while they understand they need technology to run a call center, they have no patience for deployment. So the issue is not do we need technology. It was how fast it could be deployed or could it be deployed at night when the call center is not necessarily operating. And, and when you start looking at crafting a message around those three pains, which is what they did very successfully around the world, it, it becomes a very definite exercise. And it just, if you just want to dump the information as to what the software does. Hmm. Okay. So we, your first step is to diagnose the pain. That's Sec right. Second step is to do what then? Well, then the model is suggesting by the time you have clarity on the pain, why don't you identify a maximum of three benefits, which is as much as our brain can um, remember and, and hold in working memory especially. So identify a maximum of three benefits, which we call the claims. And the word claim has been carefully chosen in our model. One, it rhymes with pain, which makes it easier for your brain to remember. But more importantly, it's the word that's being used when you patent an invention. It's a word that that really fundamentally indicate that you have something about your service or product that is totally unique, yet it has the power to eliminate uh, a pain. And so this uh, step two is, is an opportunity to review, you know, uh, your entire suite of benefits, but only zoom and pick on those three that are, that are most relevant to the pain. And we've done uh, this in, you know, again, services, products. It's a very powerful exercise, which is pivotal. For most organizations, it's the ability to, once and for all, align the entire marketing and sales department on a limited number of benefits that would be used to articulate the value proposition on the website, on the brochure, in sales pitches, uh, all over the entire uh, vectors of communication. And in your experience, how difficult is it for people to identify their differentiations? It's difficult, and, and it's sometimes uh, a struggle. 
but if you have a good process, uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very uh, energizing opportunity. It's, it's really too clear to me how many companies are singing different songs, not having clarity, not having alignment, and ultimately confusing the, the brains of the customers are trying to, to, to convince. In a world where we get, on average, you know, 10,000 selling messages per day, you can't afford this, um, this noise. You can't afford to have your you know, executives, either in sales or marketing, or customer service, uh, using different songs. Everybody has to, to, co- you know, to, to synchronize, in a way, to make sure that it, it, it delivers the best and, and optimum uh, um, effect on the brain. So I, I've got my potential customer's pains identified. You're suggesting we boil it down to three core benefits that will address that. Yes. Then what? Well, the claims are um, potentially just three words. Really? But they become hooks. They become um, titles of mini-stories. We, we believe if you're selling face-to-face, uh, you know, presentation uh, delivered face-to-face, that you should not use more than 10 to 12 minutes. Some people are going to go, wow, that's short. Others are going to go, wow, that's fast. Um, that's, that's too long, sorry. But the, the evidence is in, in, in your objective for selling purpose, you, you really don't need more than 10 to 12 minutes. Um, and then those 10 to 12 minutes have to be um, structured in a compelling narrative. And the best way to structure that is to use three claims. So you have an intro, you have the introduction of your three claims, you have claim one, claim two, claim three, and then you conclude, which means you have two to three minutes to engage the attention, which can be very powerful and very effective. Uh, and you use the claims to introduce the evidence that you have. We call that the demonstration of the gain which has to come from customer testimonials, from demo, from data, but evidence that, that, that basically supports your case, that, that what you were um, promising has actually compelling uh, evidence to support the fact that it will happen. So the third step is how do you fill in those two minutes per claim to produce evidence that, that, makes, you know, that makes your case compelling. Christoph, to help make this relevant, Give our audience some examples of this differentiation of claims. Yes, and again, um, you know, best would be maybe to, to pay a visit to our site at salesbrain.com, but uh, to go back to the initial example that I provided uh, of this company uh, in the call center software business, the claims which were decided uh, after uh, an entire day of work, reviewing the pain, and discussing also the pains of the comp- I mean the claims of uh, used by competition, everybody uh, rallied around a new message, which is that uh, this company is actually called Genesis, could uh, deliver a, a unique suite of software for call centers so that they could better stop frustration, drive efficiency of the agents and accelerate the deployment of technology. So stop, drive, accelerate become the claims, the drivers of the value proposition, 
And under each of those claims, they are able to present evidence for about two to three minutes of how the software can stop the frustration, how can it help you monitor and ultimately drive more efficiency out of the agents, and more importantly, how can you accelerate a deployment when you have you know, potentially call center agents uh, all around the world. So this becomes, again, the structure of the narrative. You mentioned it briefly. I just want to capture it for our audience. You said some of these examples are out on your website. And give that website again, please. Oh, it's uh, www.cellsbrain.com. Okay. So I'm able to differentiate these claims and introduce the gain. And your third step is uh, how do we demonstrate the gain then? That's right. You know, that's, that's a step that if you really look carefully at the way you sell, uh, my experience, again, having seen thousands of companies around the world, is this, this demonstration of the gain is very weak. We, we've come to believe, unfortunately, because we can communicate through language, even though it's been you know, around for a few thousand years, particularly in writing, we, we believe that all we need to do is show some words and, and basically ask people to trust our words. Unfortunately, I don't believe that works at all on the, on the brain. The brain, very much like a jury in a, in a legal case, needs evidence. And the best form of evidence is what we identify in our, in our model, your customer testimonials, because they provide evidence coming from the past, therefore it's factual. Um, and, and also they can pick up the emotional tone, which is so important for, for memorization. Um, you can demonstrate something to me real time, so it's a mini experience of what you're saying the claim is going to do, and if I can have that as a sample uh, right now, then I'm going to be able to predict on that basis whether or not you're believable. And thirdly uh, is data, but data has to be simplified. Sometimes it has to be visualized to make sure that it's believable. And those three ways to prove are what we coach people to do to create that compelling presentation of the game. So I would imagine when you're in these sessions, you're spending a lot of time wordsmithing, trying to get the right combination of words. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's the struggle and the fun and ultimately the joy because you, you find companies that have been struggling at this for you know, decades. Uh, and and uh, and we have uh, very successfully helped companies that are, you know, multi million dollars in size, all the way to just a few million. Uh, and and ultimately, there's some liberation and new power from that level of clarity in the message. Our fourth step is to deliver it. So, does it matter which vehicle or medium you use to deliver? If you get steps one, two, and three correct. That's partially true. You know, we would always recommend, depending on the sales process, face-to-face -face interaction as being the most effective because we are, you know, in, in our own uh, ability to gauge, we, we prefer a, a real experience. We prefer to see facial expressions rather than guessing them. We prefer to engage socially because we're social beings. Uh, but if you can't get to that level, you can apply the model in different contexts. You certainly can apply it through a webinar. You can apply it um, through the construction of new web pages. And, and that's why we, we identify almost like a, a toolbox of message objects that, that we believe you should be creating that are
are either relevant to sales presentation face-to-face -face or to the construction of a new website. So, so our model ultimately can be used in all those different venues. And you tie this together, you call something your, your selling probability, which is a formula. What is that? Yeah. Yeah, at the, at the real beginning, my, my, my uh, partner and co-author of the book is, uh, is an engineer, uh, Patrick uh, Renvoise is his name, and we both uh, were excited about the possibility of finding a formula, so um, we did explain, and it's in the first version of the book, uh, more so than in the last version, we did explain that ultimately uh, selling is a probability which goes between zero and one. Uh, and and there are, uh, in our opinion, four factors that will affect you know that th the quality of that probability. You have the factor of how much pain people will experience. If they don't have any pain, then you're wasting your time because you're not going to get their attention. That's number one. Number two, you have the factor of claims. If you have a really unique claim, then clearly your ability to attract me versus the competitor is going to be better. So we measure a probability at the level of the uniqueness of your claims. Then if you have all the evidence, if you have all the best you know, customer testimonials you could ever dream of, then you're going to be in a better position than if you have none. But ultimately, even though you may have one, two, and three correctly lined up pain claim gain, we remain largely influenced by the way the message is delivered. That's why everything that we recommend in our model, in terms of body language, uh, tone of voice, and um, techniques such as using props, telling stories, all of those different ways that have actually hardly anything to do with the message, but everything to do with the delivery of the message, that becomes as important as the first three steps. So in our probability, that's the way the formula was expressed, that basically step four was as important as the first three steps, but if you optimize all of them, you basically have never experienced better probability to close a deal. And I'm guessing, Christoph, too, that if we were to look at this whole field of, of, of working with sales teams, meaning software implementations such as a CRM system, such as training salespeople, and, and even all the resources we give them, that most of them go towards the back end of that, which is the delivery side, which is the selling soft skills you talked about. And reality right. is, if you, if you don't get the front end right, the back end isn't as effective. It's almost like the front end becomes the engine that drives the, the back end, which is the delivery mechanism. Uh, Jim, you're perfectly uh, right on. And, and I have seen, and I'm sure you have, um, you know, very good presentation skills at seminars, let's say, mm -hmm. which um, do not touch the, the message, don't question the way the claims or whatever the value proposition is put together, and they may ultimately give you know, better presence for people, but, but the effectiveness cannot be as, as good as if you are willing to own and, and articulate and structure the message consistently, and that's what pain claim gain does for you. Uh, that's why we believe the model does a good job linking those two functions that many times, whether it's a big organization or small, end up um, having some tension, if not disconnect, which is sales and marketing. So, Christoph, your discipline here of going back to figure out how this all comes together in the mind of the customer, in the customer's brain, how is that being received by the marketplace? When you go tell your story, 
Uh, do people kind of look at this as, you know, kind of voodoo black magic stuff and let's go down and let's teach more closing skills? <laughs> do you have any of those? <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in our first work uh, around 2002, um, there was um, somewhat of, um, I don't want to say suspicion, but, but uh, a question as to, you know, where this idea of using neuroscience in marketing w- was going to, to go. Legitimate concern, frankly, about uh, ethical principles, uh, legal aspect, um, and and we're now you know almost ten years into this, and and neuromarketing marketing is going mainstream um, because it is clear that the technology that has been put in the hands of neurologists and neuropsychologists and neuroscientists has provided a tremendous amount of new knowledge on how we behave as humans which is impossible for a field as vibrant as advertising, sales, or marketing to ignore. Uh, there, there is responsibility that will come with that, and I speak quite uh, you know, openly about uh, how I feel you know, marketers should use this responsibly. Uh, the intent is never to manipulate your audience. The intent is to communicate as best as you can and, and holding the highest level of integrity and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and sense of ethics. And I believe that this will happen and is happening. And, and then also, you, you and I know that a lot of profit sectors are interested in cutting-edge you know, approach, which is what neuromarketing is. But a lot of projects uh, for funding you know, research on cancer or, or helping uh, uh, kids not uh, use drugs or smoke cigarettes, all kinds of other projects can be enhanced. Uh, through more effective communication, and I've done some research in the in the aspect of the nonprofit, uh, you know, role of neuromarketing, and I think it's very promising. We the world needs ways to communicate better, uh, to sometimes help people stop district, you know, destruction or, or 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 behaviors that are not healthy. And it gets back to the. I forget who said it, but you know the famous quote. I, I know half my marketing doesn't work. I just don't know which half. Yeah, yeah. There, there's different authors attributed to to this uh, quote, but I can tell you that uh, most uh, advertisers would have to admit, even today, that more than fifty percent of the advertising they they produce is ineffective or can't ever be measured. Which is, you know, on one end, why advertisers have been a little slow and, frankly, resistant, you know, to, to be using technology that is driving accountability to an entire industry is not terribly uh, exciting for some of them. What's the first step in getting started with this? If this makes sense to somebody in our audience, what steps should they take? Well, first, I again encourage them to visit our website. We do have a lot of content uh, and, and description uh, of the uh, of the model. There is even a, 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 an image of the map, which we call the neural map, uh, which is free uh, of access. We also have a, a social site that we started uh, a year ago, which has uh, members uh, from uh, 100-plus countries. It's called neuromarketing.com. And there's a lot of content, all free, in terms of video, in terms of postings from uh, people on neuromarketing from all over the world. Um, they clearly can, uh, you know, take a couple of hours and read the book. Uh, it's on Kindle, but uh, it, it's an emerging, fast, uh, growing field, which I believe has a lot of contribution 
to uh, any business in general and any executive function that, that involves closing deals or even influencing, for that matter. Uh, we believe the principles that we have uncovered are, are as important when you try to influence your own uh, family members <laughs> than, uh, than, than when you're trying to close a deal. And, Christoph, you keep coming back to the word principles as opposed to a theory or a concept. So you're very confident saying that these are core principles that will stand the test of time or have already stood the test of time. That's right. Yeah, I, I believe, uh, you know, 10 years into it, and I'm, I'm almost done with the coursework on my Ph.D. in psychology, uh, that the, the scientific um, basis of our model is extremely uh, strong. But um, I wanted uh, very early on to, to hit the, the street, so to speak, and, and, and work with companies on, on, our, on our model, and we've been very successful doing that. I mentioned 25,000 executives uh, of 20 different nationalities. The book also is in now uh, eight languages. It will be offered in Chinese, Taiwanese, and Romanian next year. It's, an, it's a universal international approach. We, we see the, the evidence of this movement coming from, um, obviously, the biological basis of our behavior, which is much more common to all of us than it is different. And, and that's, that's a wonderful opportunity, frankly, because I'm offering people a way to simplify their messaging, not make it more complex or more expensive. You know, we're, we're talking to you at a point where you have some practical experience where it's working out in the marketplace, which backs up some of the research and stuff you've done. I want to take you back in time. Ten years ago when you kicked this off, and fast forward to today, what's been the biggest surprise on that journey? I would say the rate of adoption has been way faster than I expected. And, um, I mean, you have companies today that specialize, for instance, in measurement of brain response, uh, one based here in Berkeley, NeuroFocus, which has um, investment from Nielsen. Of course, Nielsen better known as the panel you know, um, uh, company. Mm -hmm. uh, so they've put big dollars into this. Uh, so has uh, Ipsos and, and Miller Brown, which are two big other research-based companies. So everybody is, is serious about investing. Everybody is serious about recognizing that this is now part of the marketing tools. Uh, it doesn't necessarily substitute or remove the need for conventional research, uh, but, but it has, its, it, it has its, its position. And I'm so glad you mentioned and quoted Jack Trout initially because I read this book, you know, Battle for the Mind, uh, Positioning. Which, which was, in my opinion, the first book uh, written by a, a brilliant advertiser to emphasize that messaging ultimately doesn't uh, have any kind of effectiveness un, 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 unless it sticks somewhere in the brain. I mean, his, his hypothesis is, I'm not exactly sure where in the brain it is, but I know for a fact that it needs to stay in the brain, it needs to be encoded somehow. And, and the prediction of Jack is now come true. There is technology that gives you the option to actually see the degree to which certain neurons are holding a piece of information. Now, for some people, it's a little scary. For people like me, it's terribly exciting. Absolutely. So in those quiet moments you have now, they may be rare, but what's next? What, what, what are you, what's Christoph daydreaming about what the next step is for you and your company and where this is heading? 
Well, we're continuing to spread the word uh, through a number of, of, of very strong associations. Uh, we speak uh, on a regular basis for Vistage International, which is the largest CO membership organization in the world. Uh, we have workshops uh, around the country. We're, we're adding as fast as we can uh, members to our to our network that would have an interest in uh, in uh, in delivering this content. Uh, and including advertising agencies that are interested in in uh, adding this uh, neuromarketing specialty, and 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 it represents a bit of a challenge because you know most people going to school for marketing or sales don't have much knowledge in in cognitive neuroscience. They are you know somewhat intimidated by the subject, uh, but. There's better textbooks that are coming out. I'm writing and doing some research that I think will be helpful to many people who are looking at this for the first time. So I'm, I'm continuing my journey into, into bringing this to the world and, and, more importantly, helping companies use it to, to be more successful. Christoph, is there one question I should have asked you today that I haven't asked you? No, I, I actually think you managed to pack in uh, 45 minutes a lot more than I predicted I could give you. Uh, I, I think this is uh, the level of information that I'm hoping will get people motivated, excited to, um, uh, to learn more, and, and more importantly, to try. Even some of those you know, tips that I provided can be uh, almost uh, tried uh, instantly. Uh, ditch your PowerPoint slides that have bullet points. And begin to you know use props, tell stories, and and seek that emotional connection, which is not an option. It's an absolute obligation. Emotions are not a nice to have; they are fundamental to the biological process by which we remember anything. We've been talking to Christoph Morin, his book Neuromarketing: Understanding the Buy Buttons in Your Customer's Brain. Christoph, thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Jen. It was a pleasure. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.